it's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing. Amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's episode is number four in our Boston Marathon Virtual Race Series. I'm so excited to bring it to you. But first, let me tell you again about Prevenex. They sponsor every episode here on the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm so glad they do. So you really should go check them out because they really believe in runners. Not only do they sponsor this podcast, but also Lindsay Hines. I'll have another. They're fully invested in the running community. They're here for you. Joint Health Plus is a supplement that I've been taking for a while, and it is extremely useful. You'll notice the difference in seven to 10 days, that connective tissue that we all start to worry about as we get older is a big deal. So why not help your body out? Go check out Joint Health Plus today. If you don't agree, you can always send it back. There's a money back guarantee, so you really can't go wrong. Go over to Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order. All right, today, number four out of four in this series is Buddy Purdue. I couldn't wait to talk to this guy. He has had an unbelievable improvement at, um, I wouldn't say an advanced age because he's not, he's not, you know, he's not an elderly gentleman, but in terms of marathoning PRs, he kind of is at an advanced age because you would not expect somebody who picks up running at age 44 to be improving at the rate he is now at age 50. Two. That's right. 52. This man just ran a 253 marathon, which is absolutely incredible. Almost set his state record for his age in the marathon. He already did set the state record for his age in the mile earlier this year. But the problem was that wasn't official. So what did he do this time? He knew he was on the cusp of potentially breaking a record. So him and his friends hired out a timing group to come in, set up a race course for the marathon and basically held an official race, USATF sanctioned race for nine people. And you might think just like I did, wow, that must have been pretty expensive. It wasn't. And that is another wrinkle in this story. So many wrinkles. I am so excited. Uh, I did slip up a little bit when I talk about his running history. Uh, we talk about kind of pre-2017, post-2017, because that's when he got a coach and really started some drastic improvements. Um, I talk about how his PR at that time was a 322. It was actually a 315, 317 was in that range. So still really fast. Uh, but obviously, if you're cutting it down to 253, you're basically cutting a minute off per mile from there. And as anyone who's ever you know run a marathon knows that's that's a huge improvement. So good for Buddy. I'm so excited for you to hear this. Not only to hear, hey man, whatever you think your limits are, you're probably wrong, but also the ingenuity and creativity to make things happen on the fly. All right, so let's get into it with Buddy Purdue. Hello, Buddy, and welcome to the show. Hey Matt, thanks for having me. Buddy, it's my pleasure. So this is our fourth and final episode of our uh, virtual Boston Marathon series that we're doing. I'm so excited to have you on because you, again, all the people that we've had on in this series have all brought something different to the table. And it's so unique to get so many different perspectives and, and different experiences that people had uh, within not only their Boston Marathon experience, but also just where they are in their athletic journey overall. And you are in a very unique position. So I'm so excited to chat with you with a lot of the people we've kind of gone chronologically through the episode. With that said, I'm going to, I want to dive into your running history pre 2017. We'll do that a little later, but I want to touch on, on kind of 2017 and, and moving forward. So I have a list here of, in, in 2017, you had a 5K PR of 19.25 and a marathon PR of 3.22, which are both really good times. And at that age, what, you were about 50, 48, 49? At that point, with those times in the bank, were you kind of happy with where you were and, and were excited to just kind of run your fitness life and see where it went? Or were you driven to really kind of, uh, I guess, reach whole new levels uh, of, of fitness and performance? Yeah, you know, um, I always, it's, I didn't start running until I was actually, it was 2012 when I ran my first 5K. So um, I always had that 
want to really drive to to break three hours in the marathon. But it was one of those things where I was like, do I really want to run a marathon? Because I never had dreamed about running Boston or New York or Chicago or any of the big city marathons. It was just all of a sudden happened one day. And I was like, well, maybe I might want to try the marathon. And then when I did, I was like, hey, I think I want to try to break three hours. But, well, but you know, well, let me ask you, let me ask you this then, because, you know, shoot, so we're, we're, we're going to scrap the plan. We're, we're going to go dive right back <laughs> into history right away, because you mentioned 2012. Now, that's eight years ago. And that's certainly quite a long time. And eight years of running can take you a long way. And you're evidence of that. And we're going to dive into what you've done recently. But you were 44 at that age. So what was your athletic life before that? Like, were you were you an athlete in other areas? What brought you to running at that point? And what was your athletic background prior to that age? Well, I grew up playing soccer. So I started that when I was five years old and played um, all the way through high school um, and then played some traveling teams and some different things. So I kind of had a running background per se, but not any distance, you know, just, just running for playing soccer. So, and then I started riding a bike, a road bike, and I really loved that. And that's kind of what uh, drove me to run is I was getting a little tired of riding so much and I wanted something different, another aerobic exercise and uh, something else to do. And that's kind of what led to running. Um, and I just decided one day I was going to run and I went out and ran three miles and about died. So, um, you know, I just thought, well, this could be something that, you know, I like. Um, and, you know, once I kind of got into it, I did like it because I liked the um, the solitude almost because I run solo most of the time. So it was kind of a, a time for me to get up and run in the morning to where, I didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't have to think about anything. I could just clear my mind and just run. And so that's kind of still where I am today. That's that's what I do. I, although I do go on group runs, I do run solo most of the time. So, um, you know, that's kind of my background. I played a little baseball, but majority of the time I played soccer or golf or uh, football kind of one season. So uh, just because of my ability to, to kick a, a soccer ball kind of led to a football. but. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got into running, and it was just almost almost by accident, just because I was looking for something else to do besides ride a bike. So, with soccer earlier on in your life, and then cycling uh, as you progressed, you know, and became more experienced in life, did you view yourself as someone who was particularly fast, or maybe had um, greater endurance or aerobic capacity to your peers? Um, I don't know that I considered myself that way, but I knew that I had pretty good aerobic capacity. I always have. Um, it's been one of those things that endurance was was the thing that I had. And I knew it. I knew I could play a long time in a soccer match. I could ride a bike a long ways. Um, so I knew that the aerobic capacity was there. I just needed to really engage it and and work it and, you know, see where it went. Um, and I think that's where um, cycling has helped me with running because, you know, I'd go on, you know, four or five hour bike rides. And so I think, you know, when I think about running, you know, a marathon for three hours, you know, I think back to those, you know, days that I rode a bike for five or six hours and, you know, it's different, but, you know, you still have that long aerobic, um, activity going. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone who has cross-trained significantly from a running injury knows that, you know, that can take you a long, long way. You know, I've had plenty of friends and athletes that I've coached that have been able to really regain fitness through cross-training um, and, you know, been able to, you know, come off of injury and really hit, really hit, you know, their previous level or even new levels relatively quickly because, again, not every injury allows for cross-training at a high level. Um, you know, so if you have a hip injury, like yeah, riding a bike isn't going to help either. So it's not for everybody, but there are certainly certain injuries where riding a bike can be extremely useful. And, you know, I've seen, I have a guy on this podcast before, Seth, uh, Seth Baird, who came on and then, you know, basically was on a bike for three months and then was got back into running and six weeks later set a 5k PR because of all the work he was doing on the bike. 
which begs the question. You just said your first three-mile run in, you nearly died. Was that lack of fitness or was that you just not understanding pacing and just putting metal pedal to the metal right away? Yeah, that was me being like a 10-year-old and running as hard as I could for three miles and have no clue about pace or, you know, didn't matter if there was a hill in the way, I was still running the same pace. So it was just like all out as much as I could, as fast as I could. And yeah, that didn't work out so well. Yeah, I love I love that visual. I'm I'm, I'm imagining my uh, my son, who's now in kindergarten. I picked him up uh, for school the last last five days or so, and I can imagine him like if they let him out of, of kindergarten early, the, how fast and hard he would run out of the building. <laughs> and imagining you doing that for three miles. Um, right. Yeah, it so, reminds it reminds me of the kids at you know the local five k now that stand on the front line and just take off as fast as they can, and then just yes. die. You know, two minutes into it, and you almost <laughs> run right over them. So that's kind of the way. I was when I started. I love those kids. I always wonder when I, because it's inevitable that you'll, you'll pass them, right? Even yes. if you're not in shape, you, like, you know you'll pass them at some point. And I always wonder, like, are these kids still going to even be jogging when I pass them? Or will <laughs> I, will I, will I catch them at the walking stage? Right, exactly. Most of the time you see them walking before, you know, you, before you get past them. So, uh, but it's always fun to encourage them and to keep them going. So. But so this was a big transition. So you're, you're going from cycling, you got sick of it, and it's kind of the reverse that you see a lot of people make. A lot of people will maybe run earlier on and transition to cycling because of its less impact on their body. And after years of running, maybe they have some, some injuries to the knees and just some other connective tissue. Uh, so you're doing the opposite. You head into running. You have an inauspicious be- debut, <laughs> but obviously you didn't let that hold you back. Um, at what point did you go from trying that out to seeing if it would be a good fit to really embracing this new sport and trying to, you know, kind of put a full, a full fledged effort into it. Well, I had a friend of mine that was um, a triathlete and he was always encouraging me to run and to, you know, to try it and really to get into triathlons, which I had no, you know, no, didn't want to do that because I hated the water, didn't want to swim. I kind of sank like a rock. So, but, you know, I did get into some duathlons and, um, you know, he encouraged me to, you know, and helped me along in, in the process. And um, it was just like, you know, one day it just all clicked. So, um, you know, when that happened, I just, I kind of became hooked on, on running and kind of put the bike aside a little bit. And I would still love to ride it. Just, you know, running is kind of what I, what I really want to do now. And it kind of gets my day started, you know, right before I you know get up early and go to work. So, um, you know, it's just, I don't know. I think everybody that is a, is a runner now has, you know, kind of has that mindset to where, you know, it's just so much fun. Or for me, it is a lot of fun. I just enjoy getting out there and running. All right. So let's talk about that paradigm shifting moment. You kind of glazed over it. You said, yeah, that one day it just clicked. Tell me about that. What what clicked? How did it click? What were you doing at the time? Explain this. Well, it was um, my actually my first 5K in 2012, and it was in June. And in North Alabama in June, at the end of June, it's really hot. And so it was just a little local 5K. And I... I don't know what happened. I was about halfway through it and I started passing people and it's kind of that old competitive spirit I have just kind of kicked in. And look, I mean, I ran a blazing time of 23 minutes. So, you know, I didn't finish anywhere close to the top, but for me to be able to pass people to think, you know, Hey, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can actually run and maybe I can get fast and, um, you know, everybody was dying of heat and it was like, I was having so much fun, even though it was so hot, but it was just the fact that I was, you know, kind of passing people and, um, kind of watching everybody and, and trying to talk to people as I went by, um, you know, to encourage everybody else. It just, that was kind of the moment that the switch flipped. Um, and, you know, ever since then I have, you know, just been running. So, uh, and just and still love it as much today as I did that moment. Now, had you competed in races as a cyclist? Um, I had um, a few prior to that, but even so, even a little bit more after 2012, um, I um, did a couple duathlons in 2013. I think I did three or four, maybe, 
Um, and then um, I did, um, I actually won the state road, uh, state, state masters four or five uh, road race championship in 2015. And then the state masters four or five time trial in 16. So, and then kind of, the bike kind of got put aside after that. I feel like I had, it was kind of my crowning moment and I didn't want to go down any more than that. So um, that's kind of, I, and I still raced a little bit, but, um, and I, I love it. It's just, you know, the fact that, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you have a big crash and, um, you know, I break an arm and, you know, that's going to put a big damper on work for us uh, as we're self-employed. So, um, and it kind of happened at a race where we were coming up to the finish and sprinting and a big wreck and I went over the handlebars, but luckily I didn't get hurt. So that kind of ended up putting, um, you know, racing on bikes to the side. So what was it like comparing and contrasting racing in each one of these sports? I know oftentimes they can be very different. I guess put aside the time trial. Uh, aspect of it, which is almost like a virtual race, it would be to running. Um, but comparing, you know, see your your you know your road racing championship. You know, what are the the differences in how not only how you approach race day, but how the the strategic decisions that are made um, in those moves. You know, I've watched the Tour de France for years, and you know, I, I'm assuming that there are some similarities. But at the same time, you know, that's like saying. What are the similarities between the NBA and like the good high school team on some right, level, yeah, right? Like, right. like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if that's an accurate um, comparison. But um, what, what would you say would be the differences in, in how you approach those races and how those races, from a strategic standpoint, are executed? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think for cycling, for road racing, um, you know, you you're not absolutely, you know on the limit all the time you're looking for drafts and you're looking for, you know, people to follow and, you know, you can kind of sit in the group a little bit and be hidden. Um, and then, you know, at the right mo moment, you can make a move on a hill or uh, in a sprint or whatever. And, and I think for me, um, you know, I didn't have to engage as much as I do running. Like I'm, I'm constantly, you know, thinking about, you know, where I'm at in the race or, you know, if there's somebody just ahead of me that I can focus on to catch, um, you know, I think they're kind of different, um, for me anyways, because I always knew on the bike that I was going to be good the whole race. You know, I just had that feeling and I hadn't had that feeling running up until this past weekend. You know, I always thought at some point during the race, I was just going to absolutely fall apart. Um, and this weekend and this whole training block for me, um, from the McCurdy Mile Series all the way through the marathon this past weekend, I've had this whole different mindset and strategy that, you know, I kind of believed in the training now as to where on the bike, I always believed that I was good enough that I could always follow somebody's move. Um, and so, you know, I, while they, they're kind of coming a little bit more together now, because my mindset that I had on the bike is kind of transferring over to the run now that I'm believing that, you know, um, I can hold the run together for the whole 26.2 miles in the marathon. Um, it's where I always knew I could do that on the bike. Now, early on in your marathon experiences, I just, I gave your PR, your kind of pre 2017 PR of 322, which is great. I mean, that's a great time, no matter your age group. Um, but even when you did that in your forties, that's an even better time, right? When you, when you age graded out, when you got to that level, did you have, did even, even when you set that PR, did you still have a pacing problem? Um, yeah, you know, I was, it was kind of like, still almost like that, that 10 year old, you know, I would always go out too fast. Um, then I would slow down because I knew I was too fast and then I'd have to speed up again to try to get to where I thought I wanted to be. You know, it was kind of like this endless cycle of up and down. Um, I just couldn't stay steady, uh, on a pace. It was like, I was just all over the map. It was like I was a, a squirrel running around in the yard. I just couldn't, I couldn't get it nailed down. And that was hard because, you know, you get to the final 10K of a marathon and 
you know, if you've been doing that all day, it's just so not going to be much fun for the last six miles. Now, was this a physical problem, meaning it was just difficult for you to either keep or stay, stay in close range of the uh, kind of the expected pace that you were uh, going into the race with? Or was this more kind of like mental and emotional of either lack of confidence or kind of getting out, kind of little, you know, leaning forward ahead of your skis a little bit too much or, or some or some other concoction? Like what, what was happening here that led you to that point? Because you were an experienced athlete at this point. Right. So and you and you were well versed in the importance of pacing. You're going out for a six hour bike ride. You know how important pacing right. needs to be. Exactly. So yes. so so this this wasn't a foreign concept to you, but you were still struggling to to master it. So what, what were the roadblocks? Um, I think a lot of it was mental um, and it, maybe it was just, um, you know, the lack of experience in running. Um, because I never ran distance when I was younger. It was always, you know, with soccer, it's just short bursts back and forth. Um, so I, that's kind of almost what I relate it to is I was so used to playing soccer where I'd just run forward and run back, you know, in just short bursts. And that's kind of what was ingrained in me is how to run. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it was just mental. I just, I just couldn't grasp that concept of steady, um, and and I, I just have to relate it back to soccer to that because I always played, you know, center fullback or center mid. So I would, I was up and I was back, I was up and back. So, you know, that's just kind of what was ingrained, but I think it was just kind of mental. It was just a mental thing that I had to, to overcome. So when you were going through that, you know, that frustrating experience um, of never quite nailing that down, what made you want to stick with the marathon just instead of just saying, you know what, I'm just going to stick with what I'm good at, man. I'm going to stick with 5Ks and, you know, I'm just going to you know, jump off the starting line and stay in that and basically stay in that red zone right to the end. Yeah, I think that's just my stubborn attitude is I was going to do it and I was going to make sure I could do it, you know, just to prove myself that I could do it. Um, I just hate to to fail. I'm very competitive um, and almost competitive to a fault. So, you know, that's kind of what, um, why I stuck with it is I just, you know, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. Um, and I wanted to be able to do it for the whole marathon without falling apart at some point in the race. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of what it was, just stubbornness. All right. So let's talk about what's happened over the last few years, because as good as you were, from 2012, 2017, especially for picking up running at age 44. I mean, and I, and I can't stress this part enough. You were really, really good uh, during that time. What you've done over the, over recent years is, you know, three to four levels better. And that is really saying something compared to where you were. So what, what, first of all, what was, what was the decision that you made that kind of instigated this process of you jumping up to this completely different level of running ability? Well, I had just finished the Chicago marathon and this is how uh, I ended up getting hooked up with James at McCurdy trained is I saw an article on Facebook of all places about uh, a guy who had just run Chicago that was 50 years old and he had ran a two fifty eight, And I thought, Hmm, there may be something to this. And so I kind of, got on VDOT and I looked around and um, James's name kept coming up and, you know, I kept would click on his link and I would look at it and, you know, read his bio and some of the look at some of what his athletes had done. And, and I just, um, it was just kind of a, almost a spur of the moment was like, okay, well, I'm just going to sign up. And if you know, from McCurdy trained, he has this little, box there that says, shoot me a message and let's talk and see if we're a good fit. Well, I kind of bypassed that and I didn't even call James. I didn't send him a message. I just signed up and and was like, okay, I'm doing this and I'm, you're, I'm not giving you the chance to tell me no. And so I signed up and he sent me a message. He said, hey, call me. And so we talked for about 30 minutes and kind of that's how James and I got hooked up. And um, he decided that he was going to coach me himself instead of 
uh, letting one of the other coaches do it. He thought we would be a good fit. And obviously for the last three years, we have been a really good fit together. Um, we, we get along well and I think he knows my tendencies now and, um, can schedule a hard workout and I don't typically complain or even gripe about anything like that. Cause I love hard workouts. So, um, that's kind of what it was. It all started from a Facebook post, um, about a guy from the Chicago marathon that I had just run and the V dot system. Buddy, I think, I think you need to be like the new Facebook ad. I know they're struggling yeah. with some PR issues and they're having yeah. a tough time over there. And a lot of yeah. people are like, I'm done with Facebook, but you know, I think, I think you need to like maybe do a Super Bowl ad. Where you're right. like, hey, yeah. look at me. I, yeah. I, I set these records because of Facebook. Right, exactly. And that's what it was. I mean, I just happened to see that ad for VDOT and read the article about the gentleman. And I don't remember his name now, but, you know, I thought, well, if he's 50 and, you know, here I am, you know, 49, surely I can do it, too, if he can do it. But, you know, I didn't I didn't realize how much, you know, really goes into, you know, running a sub three hour marathon until, you know, we really got into it. So. Right. Because, you know, you, you had done very well, but basically what you were thinking about doing was running your 5k pace for a marathon. Exactly. And, yes. do, and doing so at an age where people don't usually improve by leaps and bounds, at least in running. So it was a tall order. It was a tall task. You had this goal in mind. What was the conversation like with you and James when, whether it was in that initial phone call or later on in the relationship where you let it be known that that's what you were looking to do. What was that conversation like? Oh yeah, that was um, our first conversation. He, he asked me what my goals were and I said, you know, I want to run a sub three hour marathon and you know, I want to do it soon. Um, and that was in, uh, let's see, November. And I said, I'm running, you know, the new or rock and roll, new Orleans in March. And I want to do it then. And he was like, now hang on just a second. Now he said, that's not very far away. He said, you know, I don't know that we can do it this time. He said, but you know, he said, he said, I'll get you there. He said, but it may not be in March. He said, you know, it may take us a little time to, to work and, you know, get things figured out. And, you know, we're going to start off with some, some smaller workouts to see where you are fitness wise, and then we'll make a decision. And, um, that's kind of how the whole conversation started on the very first day. He knew that, you know, I wanted to run a sub three hour marathon and that's what we have worked for. And, um, you know, rock and roll New Orleans didn't turn out so well, um, which was my fault. And I didn't realize um, exactly what happened because I went out our first marathon race together as coach and athlete and I promptly ran a 336. Um, so that was not very good. And I didn't really figure out what happened until this year. And I thought I just had mixed some, uh, calories, had some calories mixed up. And, um, it was the first race that I had used Morton and I didn't realize that you had to mix it with 17 milliliters of water to get it to form correctly. And, uh, I mixed it in a smaller bottle. So basically I did the marathon without any calories. Not advisable. I mean, no. I'm not. I'm not a professional coach. I'm just going to go on a limb. Not advisable. That's what I. That's my professional experience. Right. Yeah. Because at about mile ten, you'll start to know it if you don't have any calories, and it makes the last sixteen miles uh, not very fun. Oh my gosh! What a pain in the butt. Um, I guess another another like classic like don't try anything new on race day. You know, story. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I had I had used some, you know, throughout the the training, but I don't think, you know, I think I'm okay on say a two hour run with a, you know, just a few calories because I'm not running race pace the whole time or marathon pace. But then when you start running marathon pace the whole time, you know, you really got to have those calories um, to, to to finish and and run correctly. Uh, so yeah, that was. Uh, that was not my finest moment. And I think, you know, I really thought James would just like, you know, send me a message right after that race and go, Hey, you know what? I think we're done, but he didn't, you know, offered lots of grace and, um, you know, he wasn't, I know he was probably disappointed, but not, not any more disappointed than I was, but you know, James is so good about, um, helping you work through that stuff and, you know, offering you lots of grace and, you know, he cares more about, um, you as a person and, than really any time on the clock. And, you know, he says that a lot and he truly means that. And so I got to experience that moment 
you know, as a 336 when I was actually shooting for a 305, um, how a coach can really help you through that process, you know, when you have a bad race. You know, it's easy for a coach to be good when everything's going well, but, you know, how a coach treats his athletes when things don't go well, when a race doesn't go as planned. Um, I think that's where James and uh, a lot of the McCarty trained coaches are heads and shoulders above everybody else is that they offer that grace and, you know, sympathize and, you know, just move forward, you know, let you dwell in it for a day or so. And, Hey, let's get over it. Let's move on. And, you know, we're, we can, we'll move forward and work on, um, you know, the next time. So, um, cause that was kind of where after that marathon I had run, I don't know, from 2015, I think Chicago was my fifth marathon, um, from 2015 through 2018. And James was like, you know, I think we need to take a break. You know, I think we don't need to run any marathons for a while. I think we need to work on some other stuff. And that's what we did. We took a year and a half break in between marathons. And I think that was probably the best thing for me. And, you know, that's that's where having a coach is really good um, that can really look past all of your um, insecurities. You know, we I think I got into a mindset, let's just run marathons, let's run one after another. And, you know, James would like, you know, I think we need to stop. And, you know, looking back, that was absolutely the best decision. Um that he he actually made for me I, and i guess i could have told him no but you know i just trust him uh enough to say okay yeah let let's try it try it your way because you know it sure hadn't worked my way all right so you run this marathon 31 minutes slower than you had expected to you know instead of running seven minute pace you know you're running eight ten pace you know, eight eight oh five pace, and obviously it wasn't it wasn't factored out that way because I'm sure, given your story, that you know the the second half of that marathon was was significantly slower than the first half. However, you know, having a poor marathon is unlike having poor other races because there's a long time to think about it. You know, it's easy to say, "Hey, we're gonna turn the page," and yada yada yada. But like, you know, you just said it's been it been you took a year and a half break from marathons which is a long time to think of the last one, whether it was good, bad, or neutral, especially if it's not a great one because easier to people usually dwell on negatives and then they enhance positives in their own mind. So while it's easy to say, hey, I have a supportive coach, we're going to get over it, we're going to try new things, we're going to do this, do this. What was it like for you wrapping your head around like, wow, that didn't go anywhere near that I had planned. Now I'm not even going to be running marathons anymore what happened to my goal? Like this is, this is like a completely drastic shift. Did you have any moments of like, wow, what this is, this is not, this is not what I had signed up for, not in terms of your relationship with James, but I just mean in terms of like where you had projected yourself to go. And all of a sudden you are on a very different path. Um, you know, it was actually kind of easy. It was almost, um, it was almost, I was almost relieved not to have to do it. Almost not to have to run another marathon so quick. Um, you know, cause we focused on, we focused on half marathon. We focused on five K's, 10 K's, just some of the shorter distances where we could in, uh, increase the speed and power. Um, almost like with the McCurdy train, McCurdy mile, uh, where we worked on speed and power for 12 weeks during that series. And so that's what we did for 18 months. We, you know, worked on that speed and power on 5k speed on 10k speed. Um, and so it was almost a relief, you know, I was like, well, you know, absolutely bombing a couple marathons in a row. Um, I was, I was, guess I was probably as ready for the break and it was almost good that he suggested it. Otherwise I may have just completely stopped. You know, I, I think it was, you know, James's foresight to see that I was not, um, in the right frame of mind to be running marathons after, you know, so many bad marathons in a row. All right. So you make the move to, you know, running shorter, faster stuff. And when you start going down that path, how quickly did you start seeing the value in this course correction? Uh, it was, it was pretty quick. Um, you know, I did, let's see, I was think it was, um, 2018. I did, um, I did set another 
a 5k PR and it was 18, I want to say 1825, maybe somewhere in there. And then, um, a few seconds PR and a 10 K not very much. Um, and then we had a half marathon. Uh, we, I did the Indiana monumental half marathon in uh, November of 2018 and I set a PR of 125.35, I think, that day. Wow. So it was kind That's of. What, that must have been a big day because all of a sudden you must have been really sniffing that sub three hour marathon when you did that half. Yeah, because James was there at the race that day because he had some other people running the marathon and half marathon. So he was there at the finish line when I crossed. And, uh, you know, he just gave me this big hug and he said, you know, we can do this sub three hour marathon now. He said, I, I believe that it's coming and it's going to be next year. And so that would have been 2009, you know, that was 2018. So we really thought last year was the year for, you know, to break three and um, just an unfortunate injury a week before uh, last chance uh, Geneva last year where I strained a hamstring, um, just kind of put all that aside. But still, I ran a 303-23 last year with a with an injury. And so we knew at that point that it was just a matter of time um, that, you know, the three hours was going to come and it was going to be at the next marathon. Right. Now, let's talk about injuries. I know that, you know, that, that you've had your struggle and you have been somebody who has kind of been laid out and hasn't been able to you know, say, take extended breaks. You know, let, let's talk about how injuries have impacted you as a runner. Um. Probably the worst one is um, earlier this year, January, I was working and went to pick up a piece of furniture and hurt my back and um, really thought it was just muscular and took a couple days off from running and started walking again. And um, after about three days, and then I started walking, running on a treadmill and on the track, just soft surfaces. And a week later, I went out for a run. Um, just five miles and just running easy. And I just felt something in my back. And so I stopped and walked home. And throughout that day, my back kept getting worse. I went to the chiropractor just thinking something was just off. And um, that night, uh, I was laying on the bed and Kim, my wife, was kind of massaging my back a little bit. And I went to turn over and my back started spasming. And for the next eight hours, I couldn't hardly move. Um, it was bad enough that, uh, I hate to say this, but we had to call the fire department to move me up on the bed because I could not move because my head was hanging off. And so they had to actually move me up on the bed just to get me all the way on the bed. And so, um, that kind of put a quash to some running in January and had to go have an MRI and ended up having two herniated discs, uh, in my lower back. And so we basically just had to start over from scratch um, when I could run again. Uh, we just had to, we took some time off. I was, uh, went to physical therapy. I have a, a, a runner friend that's a physical therapist and uh, everybody kept telling me that, you know, surgery was basically my only option because you could see on the MRI where it was pushing into the nerve and uh, I just wasn't going to do that. I just, you know, it kind of got to where it was feeling a little bit better and, um, John, he started working with me, started strengthening my core and my, my back muscles. And it was just, he would put me on the treadmill and make me run. I was like, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. And he was like, yeah, let's just run for 10 minutes and then we'll walk. And, and so we, that's kind of where I started back, um, being able to run again this year was just in physical therapy and working on strength. And, um, from there, um, you know, James was, very gracious. And, you know, we worked slowly back, um, to where I could run, you know, for 30 minutes. And then once I got to that point, it was like my back, it was still hurting at times, but, you know, we started doing workouts again and, uh, things, I just kind of kept up the strength and, um, the strengthening of my back and core. And it just kind of got to where it was, it's not better. It's still there, but, you know, I don't really have any issues with it at this point. I just can't pick anything heavy up. And, um, you know, I can run. Obviously, I can run a marathon uh, with it. So, um, you know, we did it was slowly a slow process to getting back to where 
we were. And, and to be honest, I was a little afraid that, you know, this year wasn't going to bring a sub three either. Um, but you know, all things work out and, um, it did. And, um, I'm, I'm glad it did. I mean, I, I'm just ecstatic over, you know, the race and the year I've had because, uh, you know, other than that injury, I really hadn't had many, um, I've had a couple calf issues, but um, I think that's pretty standard for most runners and IT band issues. But, you know, my back was has kind of been the, the hold up for me this year. And um, other than that, I've been pretty injury free. Yeah, but the back, as you know, is, you know, is the linchpin here. Right. Is, that's something yeah. that if that's if that's compromised, you're you're going nowhere. Right. I mean, there's no there's no workaround effect for that. And, and you know, I've actually had a herniated disc over the past 12 months as well. Uh, it doesn't sound like it was nearly as bad as yours. Um, but you know, you should, you, you have to completely shut it down. That's for sure. So you mentioned this happened in January and it was a week before your marathon. Were you planning on doing Houston? No, no, that was, um, that was, that was in, that was last year where I injured my, oh. my hamstring, um, a week before last chance, uh, Geneva last year. That's right. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So gotcha. yeah. Yeah. We were, you know, I was getting ready for Boston, um, while that was still happening in April. So we had just started works out, working out for, for Boston and had a plan together. And, um, then, you know, obviously when Boston didn't happen in April, I was probably one of the few happy people that it didn't, of course. And then, you know, it obviously gets end up canceled in September. But, um, yeah, we were we were just working toward Boston and we're, that's we were going to go for a sub three at Boston. OK, but all of a sudden Boston shifts around, all the races are canceled. And then it seems as though a whole new racing goal popped up on your calendar. Yes. Um, you know, when, when James sent out the first note to some of his athletes about the McCurdy Miles series, I just texted him. I said, you know, I'd love to do it. I just, you know, I'm not sure how my back's going to hold up. And he said, well, we'll just, you know, we can just try. He said, you don't, you know, we don't have to set any, you know, PRs. We can just do some workouts and see how you do. And um, we did. And, you know, it was like the more I started to run and the, the, the stronger my core and my back was getting, the less my back was hurting and the more I could do. And, um, you know, it, it just kind of all fell into place to where, you know, that first mile we had that first week, um, we really planned on doing about a 520 mile. And when I stopped my watch, I was 509. And both of us were really surprised to be honest, because we just, I didn't think I could run that fast with my back. And, and I don't think James did either, because we really thought 520 was going to be a target pace. And so from that moment on, we really kind of, the training shifted to where we were doing more workouts, we were doing harder workouts, and everything, you know, if my back would hurt one day, we may move something, we may skip the workout that week. But, you know, we, that's kind of where everything started falling together, um, was after that first race. And, um, you know, I think that that series did me a lot of good, it gave me a lot of confidence. Um, one that I could run fast, and two, that my back would hold up to that pounding. Um, and so we were, you know, super excited. And, um, you know, the competitive nature in me is, you know, there was one gentleman that was one second ahead of me after that first mile. And that was my whole goal was to end up beating him and winning my age group in the McCurdy Mile Series. So, again, that competitive nature kind of kicked in. And um, so that's, yeah, it was it was a defining moment for, for me this year in, in racing. And it sounds like not only, you know, not only getting that age group win in the McCurdy miles series, uh, as cool as that is, it sounds like you had something, um, you know, even, you know, far bigger potentially on the horizon for what you're capable of during that mile series. Right. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, when we got to the last mile, I had been at, um, I went from 509 to 505 to 502. And, um, you know, I was determined that I was going to break five on that last mile. And then I did 458. And it was kind of that moment that James and I, you know, talked and 
where he was like, you know, three, three hours is not going to be a challenge. He said, you, you're going to be able to do that with no problem. I was like, James, I've never done that before. He was like, yeah, you got it. You can do that. Um, and it's not going to be a problem. We're going to have to set another goal. And I was like, James, come on, let's just break three hours. He was like, no, no, I don't think we can do that. We, we bigger goal. And so he was like, you, you got to, you got to realize that you are faster than you think you are. And so, you know, it was there again, he's, you know, constantly believing in me more than I believed in myself. And that gave me more confidence um, that he knew I could do it before I did. Yeah. So when you're looking at that goal, when did you realize that your age group state goal might be in, might be in reach? Um, you know, I didn't really look at it um, up until about a month ago, um, because when we were doing the mile series, I looked to see what the state record was in the mile. And um, since it wasn't a certified course and it wasn't um, uh, a real race, I broke. I was 51 when it started. So my first one, I broke the state record as 51, even though it didn't count. And then I beat the 52-year-old state record by 14 seconds. Um, and so that's when I thought, you know, maybe there's some other races. And I looked at the marathon when it said 249.28. I was like, oh, there's no way. You know, I'm just trying to break three hours. And the closer we got to the marathon, the more I thought, hmm, you know, this this is a possibility. When In that last month, when I finally looked at the record, I was like, you know, I think that might be in reach. And, and James was like, oh, he said, I think it's more than in reach. He said, I think we can do it. And obviously, you know, in the end, it didn't happen. But we, you know, I'm super ecstatic with, with the way the day turned out. And, you know, there's another day for that, that state record to come. But um, I think it, it's, it's there. Um, you know, just maybe another marathon. All right. So with these state records, you know, when you're in the situation where you're you know, doing this virtually, right? This is the virtual Boston Marathon. So what did you have to do to line up, you know, the logistics to allow for, if this were to come to fruition, that it would be um, presented as the new state record and not just, hey, this guy beat us on on his Strava account, but, you know, he could have been driving around in his car for all we know. You know, like, what, what did you have to do to make to make the attempt official uh, when and if you, you knocked that record down? Well, all of my running friends, we had, we all had marathon scheduled. I was going back to Last Chance Geneva, and a week later, they were going to be light at the end of the tunnel in Washington. And so we... Theirs kind of got canceled before mine, but I had always said, you know, I'm going to run one no matter what you know, in the fall, I don't care if it's by myself or whatever. And then we kind of, um, they kind of started moving forward that process before Geneva got canceled while theirs got canceled, they started moving forward with it. And so we, uh, they lined up, a a, a guy that came over and certified the course, uh, USATF certification. Uh, we got a timer lined up and we advertised it. And that's kind of how it all started. It's just because the nine of us, um, all our, mar our marathons got canceled and we wanted to run an actual marathon that was, you know, certified, timed and advertised. And it's actually, you know, a Boston qualifier. So what do you, so once it's, so walk me through these steps here, because this is so interesting. <laughs> I feel like some people might want to adopt some version of this moving forward because we hear now that the vaccines might not be out until next summer, and all of a sudden things are shifting wildly in terms of what we can expect in the future. What we know for sure is that people are going to want to test themselves athletically, and they find ways to do so that can make their efforts official in some capacity. A lot of people are going to be very interested in that. So what did you – so, so you, you get the USATF to, to measure the course – once it's measured, what has to be done from a timing perspective? Because then you, you're basically creating a race out of whole cloth here. Um, what actually has to be done logistically to make it so that it's, you know, that it is official and not just, yeah, you, this is, this is an official course, but like, we don't, you know, we're not going to recognize your effort. Right. So you have to have a timer, um, you know, a, a certified timer. Um, you know, we have to have chips, 
um, you know, the whole nine yards. So we had to, to hire the, um, a local timing company that a race timing guy. And so he came and set up and, you know, gave us bibs and, you know, assigned our numbers. And, um, you know, we all knew the course cause we'd been practicing on it. And, um, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. It's, you know, we just kind of put our plan together and I say, we, they did more of it than I did, but, um, you know, it was like, we wanted to race and we wanted it to be official, and so the city of Muscle Shoals, where we ran it, gave us permission to run as long as we had under 25 people. Um, and so that's what we did. We advertised it, and you know, nine of us signed up. And, and so we ran last Saturday um, and it was open to traffic. We didn't close streets. We just ran around traffic the best we could. Um, but it was good that the course was certified. Uh, so we knew um, that's part of the, you know, the whole process for you know, records or Boston or whatever is, you know, it has to be certified. Um, so, you know, you're running the, the correct distance and not just going off GPS because, you know, GPS isn't always correct. And sometimes it can be short, sometimes it can be long. So, you know, that was the important thing is, you know, the two things is, you know, having the course certified uh, by USATF and having an actual timer um, with chips. All right. So you can have this race. The, the the local officials say it has to be less than 25 to um, accommodate or to, to work within the health restrictions. So you're there. You got you're going to be running more miles than people in the race at this point. Yeah. You're going to be running 26. You got you know, potentially 25. So how much does it cost to set up something like this? Um, the 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 certification for the course is six hundred dollars. And then the timer was $800. Um, so we just charged $65 a person, but then we've kind of all gone back in and we just made up the difference because we didn't know how many people were going to be, you know, show up or sign up. So if we had, you know, 25, then that would have covered the whole cost. So it's basically $1,400. Okay. So hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> the, if you if you incorporate travel expenses, this was far cheaper than actually going to Boston. Absolutely, it was. This is genius. <laughs> I can't even believe this. This is. I thought you were again. I never. I I planned a virtual race series, and even that was like you know. I I, I did that knowing nothing, right? So and it, it was very successful, and Lord knows how that ended up ended up, <laughs> ended up working out. Again, my own naivete. I assumed that you were going to say exponentially the amount of money that you just said. I'm looking at this now like, wow, like who wouldn't want to do something like this, especially for a longer race? Like, Obviously, if it's a 5K, maybe it's cheaper for a 5K because, you know, those timing, you know, it's it's less of their day, they guess, taken right. out. So maybe maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it costs less as well. I, I couldn't say. But that is really interesting. And I can see I – can, I can imagine running groups all across the country – you know, hearing this and saying like, wow, what's stopping us from doing this? <laughs> like literally, like, why do we need to wait for a race to be, you know, you know, canceled or or not canceled? We can literally just, you know, do this ourselves and we might just have have smaller limits, but we only have 20 people in our club anyway. It doesn't this is this is totally going to be fine. Um, all right. Let me ask you this other question then. Did you get into a position where um I guess, I guess with under 25 people, this isn't even that big of a deal. But, you know, the difference between gun time and ship time, does that like, – where, where did that potentially play a part in achieving the state goal or the state record? Well, since we all could line up straight across the finish line, I mean, uh, the start line, it really didn't matter. So, you know, we all started right on the line. So when, when the gun went off, we all started at the exact same time and everybody crossed the start line at the same time. So – you know, it was uh, it wasn't really an issue because there wasn't that many people that signed up. So, you know, I guess had there been more people, um, you know, it might have been an issue. But um, for us, because it was small, it really didn't matter because we just all lined straight up across the start line. <laughs> all right. So you have this huge goal in mind, right? You're going to try to break the state record. You've had, you know, minus the back injury a really good 2020 in terms of training and 2019 had gone well, you know, and obviously Geneva didn't work out. Um, but obviously the training had gone well. So you're feeling fit, you're feeling good. 
tell me about how the race went. Yeah, it, um, James and I, you know, he laid out the plan for me and, um, I just, I wrote it all on my arm in Sharpie. So I knew because we had, uh, basically what it was is we had an opening lap that was a mile and a half. And then we had to run eight big loops that were 3.08 miles. So almost a 5k each loop. And so we had it planned out per loop and I had it written on Sharpie on my arm. Um, so I knew my lap times. I never, I never looked at my overall time. So I was focused on each lap. And, you know, the first lap, I was perfect. Second lap, I was right on target. Third lap, fourth lap, fifth lap, um, sixth lap. I was just a few seconds behind, but, you know, it wasn't anything concerning um, at that point because I was still uh, perfectly within the goal um, because the the whole, the way he had it set up, I was actually kind of between 245 30 and 247 so i knew that even if i slowed down a little bit i still had a little bit of play there um and everything was perfect um i actually had a friend of mine come out and run the first half with me um because I, I was kind of by myself a little bit and so he gave me a lot of company the first half and then um i had another friend come out and ride his bike with me for uh the last three laps so just just for company, just for that mental break of having somebody close to me. Um, and so I got to that uh, seventh lap and um, the the first mile into it, I kind of looked at my watch and I was like, I really don't need to be running a 636, but I don't see that there's anything I can do about it at this point. And I still just, you know, even in my mind, even at that you know, 636, you know, mile 20, 21, um, I was still feeling really good. And then the next mile came and it was like 642. And I just, you know, kind of things, and they weren't going downhill badly because then the next mile I picked it up and I, you know, I think I ran like um, maybe a 625. So I came back a little bit, um, but then I just kind of got into this um, groove of 635, 636, 639, and I just couldn't break out of it. Um, so while I slowed down the last 10K, I didn't like fall apart. You know, I, I averaged maybe, you know, 20 seconds slower per mile over the last 10K, which you know, really pushed me over out of the, out of the record. But, you know, i never really knew what the overall time was the whole day. So I didn't really know where I was. I just knew that I had slowed down enough that the record probably was gone. Um, and it, you know, really, it didn't even matter at that point because I was, I knew that three hours was, I knew I had broken it. And so you know, I never had any negative thoughts, even when I slowed down a little bit that day. Um, I still had confidence that I could run. Um, and every mile um, of the marathon was under under seven minutes. I think my slowest mile was 6.56, maybe. So, um, you know, it was just like, you know, I, I didn't meet the goal, but I was super happy that, you know, I ran a 2.53 uh, and over a 10-minute PR. Uh, from last year. So, um, you know, while, you know, it's a little disappointing not to break the record or even get a little closer, you know, to, to run 253 um, at 52, I never thought I would be that fast or never thought I could run that pace for that long. So, you know, it's disappointing, but I know I have a little bit more in me, um, you know, maybe to get the record or even just even forget the record, but just, you know, get closer to, you know, 245. Um, I think that's still possible. Um, so, you know, just a little bit more hard work and a little bit more, you know, working on that final 10 K. Um, and I think I'm there. So, you know, overall, I think for me, the race went good. Um, I was super happy with it. Um, like I say, even though that last 10 K was a little tough, um, it was still, you know, by far the best overall race I've ever had. 
Yeah, that is awesome. I mean, that that is absolutely incredible. The 253 improving year after year after year. So you set your marathon PR and your mile PR in the same year that you turned 52 and herniated discs in your back. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. Okay, so let me ask you the, the question that I think a lot of people are probably wondering right now, no matter what their age is, is what have you come to understand in terms of not that human running potential, because you can't speak for everybody, but your understanding of potential and how it's changed and how you feel like, you know, it is your, your relationship to perceived limits. Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, um, for me, uh, Putting the work in, um, believing in yourself is probably a, a big a, a big hurdle to cross. You know, because if you if you have confidence and you believe in yourself, I mean, you can do anything. Um, and I think that's one of the things that James has taught me is that you know if you really believe in yourself, you put the work in, your results can come. You know, and maybe maybe it's not a sub three hour marathon for somebody. Maybe it's just a sub four hour marathon, and you know that's a you know that's a great goal for somebody um, that you know maybe has struggled with you know four hours and thirty minute marathon. You know that they come to believe in themselves that they believe that they can run that sub four hour marathon. Um, just like with me, you know, finally believing that I could actually run a sub three hour marathon. You know, I think it, it just comes down to, you know, confidence and belief in yourself that you can do it. Um, and, you know, when you believe, then, you know, a lot of things are possible. I love it. And if someone had told me that this was possible, that someone would start running at age 44, run a 253 and feel like, you know what? And do and run two fifty three at eight fifty two and be like, you know what? That's great, but you know, I could shave another seven to eight minutes off this. Really <laughs> I would right, be yeah. like uh, no, I'm not buying it. And, you know, and may, maybe that's the cynic in me, but it's, it's, it really is remarkable, buddy. It's so exciting to hear this because so many of us are on these journeys that, uh, that usually involve some sort of, um, limitations that we put on ourselves. Like, all right, like, I know I can't do X, Y, Z, but maybe I could do ABC. And what you've shown is, Hey, no need to even think about that. No need to, to to process what limits may or may not be. Uh, just continue to work your butt off with a positive attitude and who knows what's going to come. So thank you so much for coming on this show. And also thank you for giving us heads up that, hey, who needs these races to happen? We can create our own race. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> and yeah, it, can, it can count and, and matter. And and not only is it, you know, something that we can be, you know, hang our hat on for setting a new PR or, or running as best we can on that day. Uh, whatever our fitness level is, but it can also potentially be an official time uh, for something like this. So thank you for all the knowledge. It is so appreciated. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoy it. Buddy, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute pleasure. As someone who is trying to test their limits right now through the Mastering 40 journey, it was so exciting to hear that Hey, man, you're doing things on an entirely different level. Start running at 44. My goodness, that is incredible. Big shout out to Gooder and to Prevenex. Gooder sunglasses, I love them. I wish I had as many as I do because my kids keep stealing mine. They love them just as much, maybe even more than I do, which is really saying something. I wore them actually two days ago on my workout. It was really sunny outside. I wore them. This was a workout, and it was on a hilly route. These, ba these babies didn't slip once. I was just so impressed. I really was. Uh, so go check them out today. Uh, Gooder.com forward slash rambling runner. Also check out Prevenex. As always, you know, you're probably taking some sort of supplement at this point. Uh, I know I am. I'm taking a few. So go use Prevenex. They can be trusted. And that's the main thing when it comes to supplements. Sometimes you just don't know if you're buying snake oil or the real thing. Prevenex.com. Go check them out. Thank you so much for listening. Four out of four. If you haven't checked out the other episodes of the Rambling Runner, Rambling Runner, the Boston Marathon, um, Marathon Series. See, I had that virtual race in the spring. Every once in a while, it slips out. Um, the Boston Marathon Virtual Series did four of them. All four of these people have such different stories, but all simply amazing, uh, motivational, aspirational, um, all of the things. So go check them out today. 
Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.